so for all of our friends that are with us online, we say good morning to you. And whether you're here with us live on Facebook, at ccmonline.org, on YouTube, or maybe you're with us uh, later on the week on our podcast, we, we greet you and we say thank you for being with us and celebrating this service with us. Uh, we'll be receiving communion together uh, as a people uh, after the message. And so we just we invite you, if you're at home and you haven't done so already, to, to gather your bread, your crackers, and your juice and get ready to receive communion. So for our online folks, so happy to see you in this place this morning. Well, thank you, Claire, for that introduction. And um, yeah, so it's good to know that you let people know that we are going to skip right now into what is Holy Week. So the Palm Sunday is part of it, but it's certainly not the end of it. And there's a lot that happens in between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. And so um, Holy Week, we're invited to enter into the suffering of Christ And um, it's also the invitation for us to enter into the suffering of others. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. And there's there's three parts of suffering that I just want to go over today. And the first part is that suffering is an inevitable part of our lives. And the second one is, is how we respond to suffering really matters. And then the third piece is how can we journey with those who suffer? So let's just jump right in and say, you know, suffering is inevitable. It's part of our human condition. And I would also add to that most people have an aversion to suffering because we don't, like Claire said, we, don't, we just want to jump right ahead to Resurrection Sunday. But there's so much there happening in between. And I like the way that Richard Rohr puts it here. The cross was Jesus' voluntary acceptance of undeserved suffering as an act of total solidarity with the pain of the world. Reflecting on this mystery of love can change our lives. It seems there is resistance from all of us when we are suffering. And it is in those moments that we are invited to a more generous response. It is actually the necessary part of dying that the soul must walk through to go higher farther, deeper, or longer. And so I agree with Richard Rohr's statements here that not only is suffering inevitable, but it's also necessary for our spiritual growth. And so let's look at at, uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And um, we read here, it says, Have this same attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example for selfless humility who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, possessing the fullness of the divine attributes, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted, as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it, but rather he emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being fully God and fully man. After he was found in his outward appearance as a man for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. So as we look at... Just as a recap of that scripture, we see that he existed in the form and the unchanging essence of God. 
possessing the fullness of all of the divine attributes. Another version says that he had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of his status no matter what. And instead, he emptied himself. And I think that's a message for us today. He emptied himself, becoming fully God and fully man. He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And I think that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? Because we, um, you know, we try to climb our way to the top. We achieve, we uh, try to achieve and we cling and we grasp and we assert ourselves as if we're entitled to have things our way, the way that we want them. And Jesus didn't come to the earth as an entitled savior. Let that sink in. He did not come as an entitled savior. He came as a servant in order to identify with all of humanity. He lowered himself into the depths of our sadness as if to say nothing or no one in all of humanity is abhorrent to me. So he met us there in that place. And he's our model of not living with a sense of entitlement that we, that we see so much in today's culture of entitlement. Um, he did this. He gave up his divine rights and privileges, not just for us, but he did this in order to be with us. As Claire said earlier, in solidarity with us, in solidarity with our suffering And so when we look at verse 5, back at verse 5, it tells us that we are to have this same attitude as Christ and live as an example in selfless humility. Um, I might be the only one, uh, but have you noticed that there are a lot of people that don't have that same attitude as Christ of of being selfless and, um, and looking out for their own interests? A lot of people have an attitude that they feel entitled to live a comfortable life, free of troubles, free of pain, free of loss, free of inconveniences. And um, Sean and I and our kids, we got to experience that firsthand. So we were part of that, uh, that group last Saturday that were in the airport at Fort Lauderdale Airport when um, hundreds of flights were canceled. And, of course, no one had any forewarning. And the weather outside was gorgeous, and we, we got our bags checked. We got into the, our gate, and we're all sitting around ready to, ready to board the plane. And all of a sudden, I, I get this text, your flight has been canceled. And I was like, what? So I look on the screen, and it says, on time, as it had been saying the whole time we were there, flight's on time, every flight's on time. So I thought, well, that's really odd. I look outside, there's no weather that would be canceling flights. And um, so our ticket booth, we weren't far from the ticket booth or the gate, and the ticket agent uh, was not there yet. So I thought, I'm going to go up and find out if this just is like an April Fool's joke or something and and head up there. And as I'm walking up, there's the ticket agent who's also walking up. And I said, I'm walking with her. I said, hey, I just got this text. And she's like, really? That's odd. I hadn't heard anything. So I'm like, yeah, well, you know, maybe it's a glitch. I don't know. So as we're walking up together and she's trying to log on to her computer, imagine, I mean, just picture it for a minute. Thousands of people all getting that same text. And literally, that's what it was. Thousands of people getting the same text, not just on our flight, but every other flight. 
And um, then, of course, you see, you get to see a real picture of, uh, of humanity, right? When you see people under that kind of stress, you see how they react and how they respond. And people were running up to the gate and they were, you know, I demand answers and I demand to know. And this, this young girl, she was just like, I'm just trying to log into my computer. I don't know what's going on. And so, of course, I was feeling really terrible for her because the more people that came up, the more they were just really just demanding answers. I'm being inconvenienced. It's nice outside. Why are they canceling my flight? And so um, finally I said to the people behind me, and I said, you know, we just need to take a minute and realize that this is not this girl's fault. She does not control the weather. So let's just have a little bit of grace for her. But it's an interesting, um, it was such an interesting um, picture in human behavior because then you go downstairs where there's hundreds of flights canceled, hundreds of suitcases already checked and people are like looking for their suitcase and of course there's no rental cars there's no hotels there's no blah 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 so it's amazing to see how people are react when they're inconvenienced and it made for great conversation when the seven of us stuffed into a van with 1200 suitcases to drive uh 24 hours home that day (laughs) it was quite fascinating fascinating And, you know, if a person is not aware of their tendencies under stress, they begin to lash out, and they look for someone or something to blame. And I'm guilty of it, too. I confessed to my life group last week that that even just the day before, so so at the airport, I stood up for that girl and said, be nice to her. Well, the day before, at a different time in our vacation, somebody said something to me that I felt really was... um, belittling of me and so instead of being that godly christian woman that i should be i said something back to him called him a name a name that can't be repeated here in church and um so i confessed to my life group on on wednesday night and and don't worry they're praying for me so i'm i'm on my way to being to being better but i think we all have um we all are triggered by different things um and so I do not believe that God intentionally sends suffering. However, I do believe he uses it. He uses suffering, and he never abandons us in our suffering. He's right there alongside of us in our pain, as it tells us in Romans 8.26. It says, when we get tired, God's spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how to pray or what to pray, He does the praying for us and in us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. He keeps us present before God. I don't know, have you ever been in a place of such deep grief that you don't know how to pray? After we lost our beautiful Isaac at 21 years of age to an overnight illness, our prayers mostly considered, mostly consisted of groans that were too deep for words. And I would say that I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit kept me before God, kept my family before God, and prayed in us and prayed for us when we didn't know how to pray, when we couldn't make sense of our circumstances and our suffering and our loss. And, you know, sometimes Sean and I have the opportunity to work with people that are grieving, and we've heard some 
very sad stories. And sometimes people think that their loss is because of God's punishment in their life, that somehow God is punishing them. Sometimes they, they think that they didn't have enough faith, so their loved one died. Sometimes uh, they've come to the conclusion that God has abandoned them in their loss. And then there's others that somehow think that because of their faith, they were um, exempt from suffering. And when I look at Scripture, I don't see that to be the case. I don't see that to be true of Scripture I see, as 1 Peter 4.12 tells us, it's not on your, it won't be on the screen, but it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised when you go through fiery trails, trials, for this is no strange, unusual thing that is going to happen to you. These trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And so as partners with Christ in his suffering, it brings me to my next point. How do we respond to suffering? Because how we respond matters. And I don't know about you, but I want to learn from Jesus on how to suffer well, how to empty myself, as he did, to the point of death. Death to the false self-strategies and my constant compulsions for power or control or security or approval of people. You fill in the blank. You have other things that you can fill in the blank that keep you from emptying yourself. So my heart's desire is to empty myself of the sin that keeps me from being fully alive in Christ. And so many of us approach suffering in a way of avoid it at all costs. We want to avoid it at all costs. But however, if we avoid suffering, we miss out on the transformation that God has for us through the suffering. Our greatest pain has gifts that are hidden or disguised in the middle of the turmoil and the heartache. Based on my understanding of Scripture and based on my own experience, I believe that within each struggle there is a blessing waiting to emerge, waiting to spring up. Because God desires to bring meaning from our loss. And that's a, that's, that's a, uh, a part, I teach a shape class, and we talk, we spend a whole, uh, a whole few days on just that part of it. How does God bring meaning from our loss. So he does want to bring meaning from our loss, but unfortunately, this is the part that we all want to bypass. We don't want to stay there. We want to skip from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. We don't want to consider what happens in between. The betrayal, the agony in the garden, the uh, arrest, the scourging, the crucifixion, the darkness of the tomb. We want to go right to Sunday. And so there's so much to learn in the suffering. However, we're not meant to stay in the suffering. We're not meant to stay in the tomb of darkness. And so sometimes people get stuck in the narrative of their loss, or they get stuck in um, become paralyzed without the ability to transform their pain into the new life that awaits. And I, I read last week or a couple of weeks ago that um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM, added prolonged grief disorder to the latest edition of their diagnostic manual. And of course, we can see with the with the pandemic and all that, all the the losses that occurred during that time, you can see how people can get stuck if they don't know that there is something to be uh, mined in their darkness, in their time of loss. So the tomb can be a place of silent gestation, a place where something is being formed. And if we have the ability as people to wait 
and lean into our pain and our loss without giving up. Believing that new life will come even though you don't see it right now. I think about our farmers. You know, they have to, they planted a seed, but it takes a while before they see it spring up. And so we have to learn to wait, and that's really hard for us to wait. Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. I am doing a new thing, a new thing. Do you see it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. And so this is the process of spiritual growth. We move from life to death to life again. It's a cycle. And all you have to do is look out the window and know that cycle. And I love that we live in Michigan during Lent because everything looks dead, right? Right before this time right now, it does. I bought a new tree last year um, for our new house, and it's a really special tree to me. Um, and it's a deciduous tree, so if, you, if my farmer friends and my planting friends know what that means. But that means in the winter, all of the leaves fall off. So there's no leaves left, and I planted it in the fall when it had leaves. And so I've been watching and waiting and praying, Lord, let this tree live. Let this tree be alive. And so I went out yesterday, and there's little teeny tiny buds. And so it, it's such a picture of spiritual growth for me that the buds will come. You have to wait for it. The growth will come. It, you wait for it, and it will come. So we have to allow the process to happen in us, so then it can happen through us, so that we're able to enter into another's pain. As it teaches us in Second Corinthians 1.4, he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can be a comfort to others when they are troubled. We'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. And so that leads to me to my third and my final point, which is how can we journey with those who suffer? And throughout Scripture, we see that Jesus exemplifies entering into another suffering and offering compassion, right? He even tells us in Matthew 25 that when we do it unto the least of these brothers, if when we feed them, when we give them water, when we give them clothes, when we visit them when they're sick, when we do it to them, we're actually doing it for Jesus. So Jesus desires for us to enter into another's pain because we're doing that um, for him. And so we are to be the presence of God to one another. We're one body with many parts, and we, but we are all connected. And offering compassion, entering into another's pain, offering compassion will ask something of us. It will ask us to do something, and it will ask us to be with, be with another's pain. And so when we have to do something, when we do some, something, sometimes it will mean that we give of our time, we give of our resources, that we go out of our comfort zone to be with another. Maybe it means that we speak out, uh, speak up for those without a voice uh, or go the extra mile like the Good Samaritan did. But it, it's also true that doing isn't always what's most needed. Sometimes the being part is what's needed most, to be with another's pain, enter in with them to wait with, to keep watch with. Even Jesus wanted his companions with him in the garden. We see in Matthew 26, 38, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here with me. Keep watch with me. 
So in this scripture, we see Jesus was honest about his pain, and he was honest about what he needed from his friends. He had a need to be with others, to keep watch. And admitting this didn't make Jesus weak, as some of us think that if we can admit what we need or admit our pain, that somehow it makes us weak. Jesus is our example to speak out and admit what we honestly need. He knew the value of another's presence. He didn't need Peter to go in and slice the ear off of one of the soldiers, right? Sometimes we think, I got to do something, and we jump into action, right? That's not what Jesus needed. Jesus didn't need Peter to go in and slice the ear off. He just wanted him to be with him. And I think it's interesting um, to note also, when we see in Scripture, a lot of Scriptures, we see that Jesus went alone to pray. He went off alone in solidarity to pray alone with the Father, but not here. Not on the night of his most profound suffering, he wanted the presence of his friends while he prayed. So he didn't isolate himself. And I think sometimes we have, an, uh, we have a tendency to isolate when we're in deep pain. I'd say that, um, um, yeah, so today, today marks the day of our sweet, my sweet mother-in-law, Sean and Scott's mom, entrance into heaven. And one year ago today, she went to, to be with her Savior, and we know she's celebrating, and she's in a, she's in a beautiful place. But I, I want to say that as I was, I was thinking about her life and how she really suffered well. She knew Four years ago that she was, or at least four years, that she had a cancer, uh, a, a diagnosis of terminal cancer. But yet she, um, she desired to be with people. She left her home of 55 years and moved to Marshall to be with her people. And so it's a beautiful example of wanting, facing something difficult, making this decision to be with people. And what a gift that was for us, Right? I mean, that was such a gift for us that she allowed us to be with her in her pain. And so we don't want to take that gift away from people, but we want to um, ask ourselves, how are you with your friends in your suffering? Do you isolate? Or can you be vulnerable like Jesus and ask your friends to be with you? And then also, how are you with friends in their suffering? Are you able to stay awake and aware and present to hold another's pain without trying to fix it or resolve it? We can't always resolve another person's pain, but we can hold their pain. You know, Sean and I, along with our kids, um, if you were here in 2009, when we lost our beloved Isaac 21 years ago, you participated in our suffering and you also participated in our healing. And I can look around this room. I can look around this room and I see the faces of those who stood vigil with us that night around Isaac's hospital bed. I can see the, the faces of those who stood with us every step of the way, including the helping us with the unthinkable task of picking out a casket. I see the face of the one who ironed my son's shirt that he would wear to be buried in, in this room. 
I see those that held up my arms, literally held up my arms so I could stand, so I could walk. I see the faces of those that sang at his memorial service. I see the faces of those that brought food to nourish my family so that we could be sustained in that time. I see the faces of those that still to this day remember his birthday and remember his heaven day and make contributions to his foundation. And so Sean and I and our kids, we talk all the time about how grateful we are for our church. You guys showed up for us. You were with us. My family showed up for us. They never left us, and they were with us. And that, my friends, brings healing. Love brings healing to us. And so friends, don't let friends isolate. So if you have a friend in the place of deep despair or in a tomb place, don't let them isolate. And don't do it yourself. There's so much to be gained if we can be with another's pain. In a minute, I'm going to show you an image that I've been sitting with this year during Lent. It's an image of Jesus in the tomb on Holy Saturday before the resurrection. And for me, it displays my deepest grief, the way I felt in that tomb during that time. In pain, but not alone. In pain, but with God and my friends and my family surrounding me. And I just want to say, too, a tomb is not only a physical death. Any significant loss can take us to the tomb. It might be the loss of a marriage. It might be the loss of your health or the health of a loved one. It might be a career loss. It might be a loved one who's struggling with mental illness or a parent with Alzheimer's that just doesn't seem to be the same person they were. That's a loss. There are tombs of broken dreams, broken faith, and broken prayers. Two things that the tomb assures us of. There are more questions than answers in the tomb. And also, we are never alone. So if we allow it, tomb time changes us from bringing By bringing us wisdom, compassion, empathy, it can move us in new directions that call forth new giftings and abilities, a new generosity of spirit. Henry Nouwen says it this way, the mystery of God's love is not that our pain is taken away, but that God wants to share that pain with us. One of this divine, out of his divine solidarity comes new life. So emerging from the tomb does not mean that we never look back. It means that we are emerging with a new gift. These divine gifts are meant to be shared, to invest in one another. It's the only investment that we can take to heaven with us is when we invest in one another through love. So as we look at this image together, and maybe you might want to look at it on on Holy Saturday as a a, um, practice, it's, a, it's an image by an artist I love. Um, uh, but as you look at this, I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to sift through your own tomb experience and see if there's a blessing hidden in there or a blessing that will emerge with time. 
So as you even look at it right now, I just want to read a uh, meditation by Joyce Rupp that I've been sitting with with this image as I close. And the, the artist is De Grazia. You can Google it. You can find, if you Google that, you can find this image and this reading if you want to use that in your, as part of your practice this Holy Week. It's called Tomb Watch. But he is not alone. All around, all around it are, um, oh, I'm sorry, let's see, shows the body of Jesus lying in the tomb. But he is not alone. All around him are shawled, sorrowing angels keeping vigil. Their soft rainbow colors dare the darkness of the tomb. Slightly bowed as they sit, one knows immediately that their hearts are weary with sadness for their beloved. They watch with patient vigilance, attending the one who has given all. They trustfully wait for the piercing light of resurrection to banish the gloom of death's house. As you look upon this image and ponder the tomb of death and the radical Eastering of Jesus, you can understand the power of these angels surrounding the shrouded body of Jesus. We each need tomb watches every now and then. Maybe we're keeping vigil for a part of ourselves that lies dormant and seemingly dead or lost, or has fallen into a coffin of depression or despair. Maybe that shrouded figure in us is the loss of a way to pray, a deadening unforgiveness, or a body experiencing its physical limitations. Maybe our tomb watch is our becoming the angel of vigil, attending someone else in their pain or sickness. Maybe the vigil we keep is for the people of our world as we weep for their woes. We all have angels. They sit like these shawled figures who lovingly attend the body of Jesus. They now wait with us until the light returns. And from these angels, we learn how to tend the tombs of others, how to keep vigil with them in their dark, dead times. Easter is about tomb watches. It's about love that keeps vigil and waits and believes in life, no matter how dark and empty and cold the inner space feels. Easter is about hope that is willing to sit in the tomb while it trusts in transformation. Easter is about faithful companions who keep watch with us and cheer us on as we wait for our inner resurrection. Thank you. Let's just take a breath. And collect our communion elements. If you haven't received yours yet, you can go right to the back. and Let's take communion together. Some of you um, may want to take communion by yourself today. And others of you may want to share a cup with someone that you're already sharing germs with in your life. Because I think one of the things that is so valuable is a shared cup. 
And whether we are alone in our communion today or we're not really alone because we take the cup with Christ. And if we are with someone today and we share the cup, there might be an invitation for you here. So just listen for what is best for you. Is it going to be sharing the cup with another person with Christ, or is it to share the cup alone today in your memory of what Christ has done? This week, we give opportunities for you to walk with Christ. On this day, you've been given a significant invitation um, to be with DeGracia's painting. And I was thinking of Stacy of your painting, or maybe she's with the kids right now. It's the Good Friday painting that Stacy did with the tear coming from heaven and um, and coming to the head of Christ on the cross, which is a part of our Good Friday service in the Stations of the Cross. So you can you can be with us on Friday um, at seven o'clock. We're going to walk the labyrinth and the Stations of the Cross right over here on the side. And we're going to um, allow the the full life of Christ to be with us. On Thursday night, we're going to have a virtual event where we're going to take um, communion in our home at our own table. And we'll, we'll broadcast that live on the website and on Facebook Live, both places, if you'd like to be with us there at 7 o'clock, both 7 o'clock times, Thursday and Friday. But today, I'm reminded of the reality, Kathleen, when you were um, talking about the Good Samaritan, the place that Jesus began the walk on Palm Sunday was in Jericho. And I never think anything's a coincidence about Jesus. It's kind of like, so I'm going to show you what this whole thing is about. It's about the person on the side of the road that needs you to be in solidarity with them, that needs you to see them. They're different from you. They don't maybe even um, think like you, believe like you. But there's somebody waiting for you in this holy week, starting here from Jericho all the way to Calvary. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he wanted to be with friends. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take this, all of you, and eat it. I want to be with you this week. And will we even today consider that Jesus wants to walk with us this week, every day of the week? Take this, all of you, and eat This is my body, broken for you. And every time you eat, remember me. And so will you in this moment just remember Jesus in whatever way that comes up for you? And if you've never remembered Jesus, today is a day that you can say, I want to remember you, literally saying, I want you to be in my life. I may have cut you off at another time, but I want to re- 
remember you and awaken to the reality that you have made me and love me and invite me to the table in whatever condition I'm in. And so in whatever way you want to say it, could you just say to Jesus, Jesus, I remember you. to them and to us that the cup of wine represented the blood that Jesus was making a covenant for forgiveness, for restoration, for blessing, and for presence to be with in every moment. And he said, every time you get together, do this in remembrance of me. So on this day, we remember Remember Christ's presence in this place, in our lives, even in this moment. And we remember that beautiful fount of God's forgiveness for each and every one of us. So as we take this juice, we give thanks. We give thanks for Christ's presence in us and moving through us on this day.
another the sign of peace or the sign of peace however you're so inclined on the way out and invite invite the Holy Spirit to just walk with you all the days of this week and to Easter and um, we love you take time to reflect on the words Kathleen gave us today and Kathleen we just love you we bless you we we are so grateful to have you as a mother in our midst to give us the, the mother heart of God. And love you so much. So bless everyone. Go in God's peace. Amen.